Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to About Progress. I'm Monica Packer, a regular mom and recovering perfectionist who uncovered the truest model to dramatic but lasting personal growth. It's progress made practical. Join us to leave the extremes behind and instead learn how to do something to grow in ways that stick. Do you find yourself failing at the new habits you wanted to create? It's okay. And it's honestly largely not your fault. Women must do habits differently. And if you want to know why, check out my free class by the same name at aboutprogress.com slash habit class. A quick disclaimer at the top of this episode. While not explicit, the topic we are covering today is adult in nature. And so there's going to be some adult terminology here. Those who typically listen with little kids around may want to consider putting in earbuds and listening that way instead. We've talked a lot about perfectionism over the last six years on the podcast and over a wide range of topics that have to do with perfectionism. And while we've covered a lot of ground with intimacy, we've never specifically talked about perfectionism in the bedroom to be less tactful and a little bit more direct. How perfectionism can interfere with and even sabotage the way you show up to and experience sex. And I thought it was time we did. I want to start by asking you a series of yes-no questions, and I want you to tally all of your yeses. Number one, have judgmental thoughts of your body impacted your ability to enjoy intimacy? Number two, has fear of what should or should not feel good sexually diminished your own ability to get and stay aroused? Three, has your own pleasure during sex been diminished because you worry about your performance? Four, have you found it difficult to arrive to intimacy with openness and vulnerability because you fear your partner will focus on your inadequacies and imperfections? And five, do you ever feel unworthy of being desired or to desire sexually because you don't measure up to certain ideals? Now, odds are 
the high majority of us listening would respond yes to a high majority of these questions, if not all of them. And according to our expert guest today, Emily Nagoski, that's largely because when it comes to women in intimacy, she says, quote, it sort of doesn't matter what you're doing. There's someone who's going to tell you you're doing it wrong, unquote. And I think we would also both add to that. Not only are you doing it wrong, you look wrong too. At the beginning of the pandemic, I finally read a book that many, many friends had recommended to me over the course of a few years, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. And while reading this book was so illuminating and very educational, the biggest takeaway I had was a feeling, one that I had throughout reading it, relief. I felt relieved that I wasn't alone in my fears, my hesitations, and even my lack of basic understanding when it came to women's sexuality. I could clearly see how this longstanding work I had done with perfectionism was still sneaking in to the bedroom. As soon as I finished reading it, I emailed Emily's team to try to get her on the show. And a few years and lots of requests later, we are finally here. Let me tell you about Emily. Emily is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the book, Come As You Are, and co-author alongside her twin sister, Amelia Nagoski of Burnout. And we've had Amelia on the show too. Emily began her work as a sex educator at the University of Delaware, where she volunteered as a peer sex educator while studying psychology with minors in cognitive science and philosophy. She then went on to earn a master's of science degree in counseling and a PhD in health behavior, both from Indiana University, with clinical and research training at the Kinsey Institute. Now, Emily combines sex education and stress education to teach women to live with confidence and joy inside their bodies. I am so thrilled to share this interview with you today. And while I know it can be both illuminating and educational for you, as Emily teaches us all about how to overcome perfectionism in the bedroom, I also know your biggest takeaway will likely be the one I had when I read her book, Relief. Emily Nagoski, it is such an honor to have you on About Progress. It's an honor to be here. And I was telling you off the air, but truly your book changed so much for me. Starting with that, it just helped me feel normal. And I mean, why it helped me feel normal is because you helped us say like, none of us are quote unquote normal. There's not like a standard for normalcy when it comes in the bedroom. And we are speaking to women today who maybe do not realize that perfectionism is showing up in the bedroom in ways Mm -hmm. that are at at a very best case scenario, not helpful and very worst case scenario, really damaging. Before we dig in though, I want to go back to your book, come as you are, and just ask you, why did you write this book? So I was a sex educator. I had been for a long time. I was teaching a class called women's sexuality, uh, at Smith college, which is the alma mater of Gloria Steinem and Betty Friedan and my favorite Julia Child. So oh, there's no Julia Child. Like, yeah. High achieving, ambitious, driven students who want to know everything. Yeah. And also because they're so high achieving, they come in with a little bit of like, I already know, kind of a lot. So <laughs> my challenge was to teach them about sexuality in a way where they learn a whole bunch and I change how they think about sexuality so I'm teaching this class and it was a lot like I shoehorned in all the science I could and at the end of this big semester I asked my students the last question on the final exam was just tell me one important thing you learned and I thought they were going to mention some specific like the dual control model was helpful for me or attachment theory arousal Mm. non-concordance and instead more than half of my 187 high achieving driven social justice oriented students wrote something like I'm normal really I learned I'm normal I'm not broken just because I'm different from other women doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me I can trust my body I'm normal um I don't know how much time you spent grading final exams but it's not usually like this I was in my Mm -hmm. office grading with tears in my eyes Mm -hmm. feeling like something really important had happened in my classroom that semester and I wanted to do it again and I wanted to do it on a larger scale. And that's the day I decided to write Come As You Are. I didn't, oh, that background story just 
I mean, of course it lines up with my own experience, but just the bigger purpose that lends to your work. It's, it's so nice to see it, isn't it? For yourself, yeah. even for, to have this like moment where I've got a pile of papers, 187 final exams that I'm grading and just overwhelmingly the feedback is not just, I learned the material, but that now I have a different relationship with who I am as a sexual person. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that lasts way beyond finishing the degree. Mm -hmm. And that's what even reading your book has done for me. This work, it continues in many other ways. And we're going to chat about that, but let's, let's begin talking about perfectionism in, in the bedroom. And, you know, I was curious how common of an issue it is for women. I mean, I think we can just think um, maybe only a particular type or, no. Or maybe in particular ways, but you know, how common it is, is it and why, why do we deal with perfectionism in the bedroom? I think it's actually more common in terms of women's sexual functioning than in a lot of other domains, because we have been lied to about how sex is quote unquote, supposed to work in our bodies mm -hmm. from the very beginning. My training, education, experience as a sex educator is remembering being, having it forced upon me to remember that everything I was taught about sexuality up to the age of 18 was untrue. Often not merely untrue, but actively damaging and aggressively telling me that I was broken and wrong. And the worst part about it is that these messages are inherently contradictory. So on the one hand, so I have an identical twin sister. You've met Amelia. Yeah. Um, by the time we got to high school, I had in my head a model for how a woman was supposed to be sexual as a person. Mm -hmm. And it was the romance novel glamour magazine model. I remember reading an article that was like, men really like it when women make noise in bed and touch their own breasts and appear to enjoy sex. And so like when I started having sex, I did that. I performed mm. pleasure for my partner, not because I was experiencing pleasure in my body, but because I was taught that the way to be a good, right sexual woman was to show my partner my pleasure. Yeah, play a part. Even if I wasn't, even if I wasn't feeling it, mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody ever taught me how to recognize pleasure in my body. This is a problem that we can talk about. But Amelia, my identical twin sister, raised in the same household. By the time she got to high school, she had the other script in her head that good girls had no sexual interest or impulses. They only did it for their partner's satisfaction, and bad girls were the ones who experienced any sort of sexual desire. And of course, the two of us never talked about it because we never talk about it. Uh, and both of us had to go through a process of unlearning hmm. these completely different scripts in order to find out who we actually are as sexual people. So it sort of doesn't matter what you're doing. There is someone who's going to tell you you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Which is why... I think the perfectionism shows up so much worse mm -hmm. in terms of sexuality because a lot of the times there's a really clear model of how to do it right. Like what the perfect thing is that you are striving for, mm -hmm. the sort of fictional ideal of who you're supposed to be. So if you have an idea of like who you're supposed to be as a sexual person, you strive to achieve that perfect sexual self. There's a whole lot of people who are going to be like, no, no, no. There's something morally wrong with you just in the fact that you want to be that kind of thing. So you're, you are failing no matter what. I'm glad you're starting here because I think we go right to the self-blame. That's what perfectionists do, right? We like just blame ourselves instead of taking a bigger picture and seeing, no, we were set up to fail. And, 100%. We were, and we were set up for it to be impossible on any, any um, spectrum that you're looking at this on. And yeah, I also love that you started with identity here of being like that, that framework of who we're supposed to be as sexual beings and how different that can look for each one of us. That alone is a big foundation to the problems we might be experiencing. Yeah. How much sexual desire are you supposed to feel? Hmm. You're right. Even there, everybody's got an answer in their head. Yeah. Everybody's got a different answer. And they might even have like multiple different answers. Like before I'm married, I'm supposed to have absolutely zero. And then when I got married, I'm supposed to want sex every day. Mm -hmm. That is not how that works. Yeah. Whiplash for sure. Internally and externally. So let's, let's help them kind of get some 
signs to look yeah. for. So yeah, there's so much, like, I know okay. I just talked about really dark stuff. There are so <laughs> many solutions. There's so many answers. There's so much yeah. hope. Okay. Yes. Let's make sure they know that. Like we, this is not an episode to, to make you just feel more despair, but let's no, you're going to you feel so much better by the end of this. It. Good. Yeah. Okay. I already am. So let's talk about what they can look for. Like how could it possibly be showing up in ways that they might not even know to look for? And maybe even some more obvious ways that they still just need to remind themselves like, oh, this is what's going on. Yeah. Anytime you are worried that you are doing it wrong is a moment. Like if you are worried that your level of desire is the wrong amount, you want sex too much, you want sex not enough. That, that your perfectionism is already diving in and being like, you're supposed to be doing it this way. Therefore you're doing it wrong. You start to beat the crap out of yourself. That already. Uh, if your orgasms take the wrong amount of time, if your orgasms happen uh, in response to the wrong kind of stimulus, you start beating the crap out of yourself because you think there's something wrong with you and your body. Nope. Uh, when you start when you when you're not having orgasms you start beating yourself up when you have been told that something is supposed to be really pleasurable and when you try it it is not really pleasurable and you start thinking there's something wrong with you it is unless you are experiencing pain it is never the case that there's something wrong with you never the case that there's something wrong with you unless you're experiencing pain in which case talk to a sex positive medical provider and that alone was not something i i was taught i actually wasn't even taught like most things you know and i think that's a lot of my audience actually but but just that's a lot of yeah yeah lot of everybody yeah it's <sighs> And that's what you, you know, when you, you are navigating becoming a sexual being and learning what that is for you and owning it for yourself, those right ways of doing and feeling and looking mm-hmm. are big inhibitors. I mean, can we even start with like the looking piece of it, you know, sure, in terms of yeah. how their bodies need to look, even right. how genitalia needs to look. Yeah. We live in a world where there is one specific model one ideal of how a body is supposed to look and many of us are taught that unless we conform to the culturally constructed aspirational beauty ideal we don't deserve pleasure we literally have to discipline our bodies to conform to that ideal so that we can even deserve to participate and sexual pleasure so that we can be wanted by our partner that we are mm-hmm. unwantable by our partner if we do not conform to that ideal and let's just name it it is young thin white long shiny hair big boobs narrow hips flat mm-hmm. abdomen mm-hmm. long legs relative to the length of your torso like it's so specific it is and Barbie. it's almost no one <laughs> it's some people <laughs> Even the people who are that aren't allowed to feel like, yeah, I conform to the ideal. I can, I get to feel really confident about my body because mm-hmm. the closer you get to the standard, the more specific and detailed, like, but you need to tone your arms, but you need to tone your abdomen, mm-hmm. but you need to get rid of the cellulite on the back of your thigh. No one ever actually gets permission culturally to love their bodies. And if I can talk about the brain science for just a second. So the thing in your brain that makes sexual response happen, it's called the dual control model, um, developed in around 1999, 2000 by Eric Janssen and John Bancroft. They figured out that the mechanism has two parts to the dual control model. There's a sexual accelerator, which responds to all the sex-related stimuli. So that's everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste and everything that you think believe or imagine and every sensation that's happening inside your body and it sends a turn on signal that many of us are familiar with at the same time and in parallel you have breaks that are noticing all the good reasons not to be turned on right now that's everything that you see hear smell touch taste everything that you think believe or imagine and all the sensations happening inside your body that your brain interprets as a potential threat 
and it sends the turn off signal. So the process of becoming aroused is the dual process of turning on the ons and turning off the offs. And body self-criticism might be the most common thing that hits the brakes. Because if you're thinking about your body while you are trying to engage sexually, what does a critical thought about your body, like, oh, my tummy or the way my breasts are hanging or like what's going on with my neck and my facial expression that my partner is seeing, are all those thoughts activating the accelerator? They are not. Those are all hitting the brakes. And when those brakes stay on, it kind of doesn't matter how much you hit the accelerator. You're not going to go anywhere. Because if you try to drive with your foot on the gas pedal and the brake at the same time, I mean, you might get where you want to go, but it will take a lot more gas. It will be very slow and everyone's going to get frustrated. And painful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. literally could result in pain and doing damage to the system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, going back to your book, that dual control model was one of the the actual pieces of like what I learned that changed so much to me. Cause I realized just how much my brakes were being stomped on, but also how much of that was internalized pressures mm-hmm. of not feeling worthy. Like you, you talked about that, just how much of a piece that is us just even feeling worthy of, of being a sexual being or you know, worthy of feeling things or worthy of being in a partnership, you know, stuff like that. Yes. But yeah, being admired and worshipped sexually and receiving yeah. pleasure from yeah. another person, as opposed to performing to produce pleasure in someone else, that we can be subjects of our own sexual experience, that we deserve that because we are humans on earth. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like perfectionist more specifically, um, fall into that trap of performative sex. Yeah, because if you can't be that thing, and spoiler, you you can't be that thing. No one is that thing. Yeah. (laughs) But you still want to try to pretend like you deserve to be there. You will put on the show. And especially women, like we can put on the show. We know how to act Mm -hmm. um, these days. When I was growing up, I didn't have porn as a model for how to act, but like anyone younger than me had porn on the internet to show them what sex looks like. Porn is a whole conversation, but basically like trying to learn how to have sex by watching porn is like trying to learn to drive by watching NASCAR. Like (laughs) it's not the same. And they're doing sex in ways that look good on camera as opposed to ways that like truly feel excellent for the people who are having the sex. Mm -hmm. So a perfectionist is going to, this is how I do sex right. I need to have this shape of body. I need to be flexible in these ways. I need to make these noises at this time. I need to perform these acts on my partner. And I need to be able to like do the stuff that I, as a sex educator, I'm like, that's a cool party trick if you want to learn to do it. Try it if you like it. But People learn like, no, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you should do it. That's what I should be doing. Man, the word should is a sex educator phrase. Stop shooting on yourself. Yep. So when we believe that we're supposed to be behaving one way, and that has nothing to do with our own internal experience, we just go ahead and pretend that acting according to the rules as we believe they are is enough that we'll be doing it right. And it doesn't matter what our internal experience is. It doesn't matter how much we want or like what we are doing. What we want is to be approved of, is to be accepted rather than to experience pleasure, which is the opposite of how sex works. And yeah, it seems like it really gets in the way, you know, and connected to that performative piece and what you just explained there as well is to me, another big should is just that duty bound sex oh, yeah. that I think perfectionists often fall into, uh, into, especially because we're like, we know the targets we're supposed to hit, you know, we know oh, like God, in order the to targets be you're supposed to hit, right. Yeah. And I'm even saying in terms of like a good partner will uh, do it this many times and, and I'll do it for them. It's always about right. like meeting a standard in yeah. terms of that. We'll have it with this frequency. Yeah. It will take this long. Uh, 
my partner will be totally convinced that I had an orgasm from this kind of stimulation. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it just is like ever growing that list yeah. of where the duty comes in. One of the questions I ask people in my workshop is what is it that you want when you okay. want sex? Uh, the answer is not orgasm. So if it's not orgasm, what is it? And for perfectionists, here's what I have found. When people self-identify as perfectionists, when they're asked, what is it you want when you want sex? Everyone's first answer is connection. Wow. It's a really important part. Yeah. Sex is not the only way to experience connection by any means. Mm -hmm. Almost all of our relationships are 100% sex-free and we get connection that way. But it is one important way. And it's certainly the way we are told we are supposed to experience connection. But perfectionists come in with a second one of like wanting to feel like they did it right. Like they have oh met yeah. a standard. They met other people's expectations. Mm -hmm. And to feel like they are not broken or wrong. Yeah. It's this kind of validation, which is when you go back and read Betty Friedan, the, the feminine mystique, there's a whole chapter on how housewives in the 1950s were very sexually motivated. Like they were initiating sex a lot with their very tired husbands because being able to perform sexually was a part of how they knew they were succeeding in their role. Yeah. Not too much has changed that way in, in many cultures, I would say. Yeah, it comes and goes, but yeah, definitely our sexual performance is part of how we are judged as people. And mm -hmm. the difficult thing for everyone, but especially for people who feel like they have to be perfect, is that standards imposed from the outside. When you're perfectionist, you internalize that standard mm -hmm. and you beat yourself up when you don't meet it. And the thing is, the standard that we're taught has nothing to do with how people actually work. Like, there's no such thing as a correct number of times per week to have sex. People yeah. ask me all the time, but like, how often do couples have sex per week? And if I tell you that number, which I could, that science exists, you could go look it up if you wanted to. But if I tell you that number, you're going to compare yourself. You're going to judge yourself against mm -hmm. that number. Like if you're doing it that much or more, you're going to be like, cool, I'm doing it right. And if you're doing it less than that, you're going to be like, oh, I'm really failing. But what if the people in the research are having sex that often and at least one of them doesn't like any of it? Huh. Yeah. Is, th is, that, is that a sex life that we want for ourselves? This is why the thing I say over and over again is that pleasure is the measure. If you need a standard against which mm. to like assess whether you're doing it right, it is not how often you do it or where or with whom or what position or even how many orgasms you have. It's just whether or not you like the sex you are having. all have some bad habits we want to work on, but in our pursuit of helping them, we skip over several things. And the first is that bad habits are not so simple. If you want to learn how to create good habits and conquer your bad ones, join me in my transformational course called the sticky habit method. It's real habits for real women, and it will help you create habits that stick and conquer your bad habits in ways that stick too. You can sign up for the course at aboutprogress.com slash sticky habit method. Are you going through a stage of your life where planning, shopping for, and preparing dinner is just too much? I'm absolutely raising my hand right now. Whether you are experiencing a new baby or it's now after school sports season, or you're simply ready to prioritize other things with your time, if you're feeling stuck with getting dinner on the table, I want you to check out Every Plate. Every Plate is a meal kit service that will help you take back the clock with fewer trips to the grocery store and meals that are ready in 30 minutes or less. They plan the meals and deliver pre-portioned ingredients right to your door so you can make mealtimes fit your schedule. 
Before every plate, I worried a meal kit service would be too costly, but every plate is known as America's best value meal kit as our meals are 25% cheaper than grocery shopping and 58% cheaper than takeout. I'll also add that the portion sizing is really great. It fed my family of six with, you know, a seven little baby <laughs> edition, and we had leftovers too with each meal that we made. Each of the meal kits I used the weeks before and after my baby's birth were not only delicious, they saved us from several trips at the store during a stressful time, and I even customized our meals to be vegetarian. You can customize every plate meals to your liking too, with options to swap proteins and sides or add a protein or veggie dish each week. You do you. You can get $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering the code PROGRESS149. That's up to $110 value, my friends. So get started with EveryPlate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering the code PROGRESS149. Yeah, I want that needle pointed <laughs> for every person <laughs> right? listening. Pleasure is the measure. Well, let's speak to that then. Let's speak to the women who are there. Now they're able to recognize better how it's showing up. And maybe mm. they're surprised by a lot of this. I mean, I still learned some things and I thought I knew a lot about this whole this whole issue. That keeps happening to me too. I'm like, wow, yeah. I really know a lot. And then I learn something and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that gives me a lot of hope. All right, so now let's speak to the ones who... Yeah. Who would like who would like to make some progress in this area? Uh, what would you suggest where they can start? Uh, so learning what's actually true about women's sexuality is mm-hmm. a great place to start. So learning about the dual control model and starting mm-hmm. to recognize what in your environment, uh, what in your context. Context is made of two parts. Context is your external circumstances, yes, and also your internal state. Mm-hmm. What is it about your context that activates your accelerators? And Mm -hmm. what hits your brakes? And when people are struggling with any aspect of sexual response, whether it's like arousal or desire or orgasm or pleasure, sometimes it's because there's not enough stimulating the accelerator, but most of the time it's because there's too much stuff hitting the brakes. And perfectionism inherently hits the brakes. One of the things that Amelia and I write about in Burnout is that perfectionists may not even start on something because they know they can never meet the sort of ideal that they have in their head of what it's supposed to be. So why bother even getting started on it? Mm -hmm. Which is why you let go of the whole like frequency, body shape, appearance, performance, orgasm, and just replace it with pleasure. If you like what's happening, you're doing it right. Okay. There's a, a sex therapist named Christine Hyde in New Jersey who taught me this metaphor. Um, so if you think about people in long-term relationships, what she says to her couples is, imagine that your best friend invites you to a party and you accept because it's your best friend and it's a party. But then as the date approaches, you start thinking, I'm going to have to find childcare. Mm. There's going to be traffic. Am I really going to feel like putting on my party clothes at the end of a long week? But you know what? You said you would go. So you put on your party clothes and you show up to the party. And what happens then? Most of the time, you have fun at the party, right? If you are having fun at the party, you are doing it right. That's what counts as perfect. Hmm. And my thing is, there's no amount of like really hankering to go to a party that will necessarily make the party you show up to a party worth going to. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be fun. Like if you are allergic to the food, you don't enjoy the music, you don't necessarily really trust or enjoy the people who are there. There's no point in like really wanting to go to that party if the party is no fun. So So it's a reframing even that, like what's, what's right. Yes. Understand what's hitting your accelerator and what's hitting your brakes. Put pleasure first, put pleasure at the center of your definition of sexual well-being. Okay. And everything else will fall into place. Think through for yourself what it is you want when you want sex. And also what it is you like when you Mm -hmm. like sex, because people often give really different answers to those things. So think through what you want and what you like. Yeah. So when you're anticipating sex and you're like, I would like to have sex, what is it that you want? Like if sex goes well, what will you have at the end of it? Mm -hmm. And then when you're in the experience of engaging sexually, 
what's happening that makes it something worth doing right then in that moment. Not the goal you're trying to attain, but what makes the experience, the process, something mm -hmm. that is worth experiencing. Uh, another thing is that I, so this quite normal. I think that we are taught that there's a sort of linear scale that goes from being broken to being normal to yeah. being perfect. Mm -hmm. We think that being normal is sort of like the gateway to being ideal, to being perfect, to being everything. And that is just like that whole dynamic is no. Instead, we are all in a cycle. And this is another thing I talk about a lot in burnout is that like, well, this is a cycle. You have to yeah. go through it. Uh, wellness is not a state of mind. It's a state of action, having the freedom to oscillate through the cycles of living in a mammalian body. One of those cycles is the cycle of moving from woundedness through healing and back to woundedness, to deeper healing, back to our woundedness, back to our healing. And when I talk about woundedness, sometimes I'm talking about actual literal survivorship of violence, trauma, neglect, abuse. And sometimes I'm just talking about the fact that we are raised in a sex negative patriarchy that insists that we perform our sexuality in order to be acceptable in very specific ways. The couples who sustain a strong sexual connection over multiple decades uh, are not the couples who constantly want to have wild adventurous sex. They are really simple things. They're friends, right? They have a strong foundation of trust and admiration. They prioritize sex. They decide that it matters for themselves and for their relationship that they do this, let's face it, pretty silly thing that humans do. Yeah. Like sex is inherently absurd. It is wacky. There should be laughter because it's play. It's a form of play. Yeah. So friends prioritize sex. And the third characteristic of these couples is that they dismantle the gender binary in themselves and in their relationship. Mm -hmm. They don't try to perform to somebody else's rules about who they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to like. Mm. That's huge. It's yeah. Yeah. I said it in one sentence. Like it's just a thing you do, but it's a thing you spend your entire life doing over and over. And that's part of that cycle too. Yes. Of yeah. Because the deal is we live in a world that forces our conformity. And so like we do all this big internal work, we talk with our partner about like how we want to be liberated from the idea that we have to look a certain way, that we have to perform a certain way, that we're supposed to be have or having orgasms from vaginal penetration when only like maybe a quarter of people with vaginas are orgasmic from vaginal penetration alone and the remaining two thirds are sometimes rarely or never orgasmic from vaginal penetration alone. Like yeah. Let's free ourselves from that script. Let's free mm -hmm. ourselves from the idea that orgasm is supposed to take X amount of time and acknowledge that orgasm takes the time that it takes. And the more time you spend getting to orgasm, the more time you spend experiencing growing pleasure. That's great. And then you go out into the world, you read magazines, you watch movies, and all of it is reinforcing the idea that like you're supposed to be having orgasms this way and they're supposed to take this amount of time. And if you're not doing it, then you were doing it wrong and you need to read this article about how to do it better. And that's where we go back to the cycle. Let's and go you're back like, right. to the well, no. So that, that magazine <laughs> article is a little wound that is yeah. like, it's not just that one tiny wound. It's that it like taps into the big, big giant old wound. Mm -hmm. It and But that little tapping in is actually also... A uh, place of release. So like that old like abscess can be drained a little bit through that. It's an opportunity. That's why it's a cycle through woundedness back to healing, woundedness to healing. There is no such thing as perfect, except that all of us are already perfect. Like you're this doing is, it right. <laughs> and that's actually what I was just going to say. Like what this helps me see is if I don't fix this part of my life overnight, <laughs> just after listening to this interview, you know, I want them to, to remember what you just said. I'm doing it right. Yeah. It's supposed to be part of a larger cycle of coming into myself in, in multiple ways, including as a sexual being, and it will take time and it will involve cycles of times where it's working really well. And then times where I get sucked Not back linear. in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're going to keep Huge. going back to that pattern that we were taught that like mm -hmm. the goal is to keep improving 
but in reality, our lives are nonlinear. You know, early in the hot and heavy fallen in love phase, maybe it's easy to want mm -hmm. and like sex. And then like 10 years down the road, maybe a kid or two, the context is different and you're going to yeah. find yourself in a different place. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with the new context. It's mm -hmm. just different. And so your brain's going to respond differently. And that's okay. That is normal. Beautiful. I would love to hear from your perspective then what's on the other side of this. Like, have you seen people who like this, you know, this, this whole general problem of perfectionism in the bedroom, which again, I know is so There is no other side you are never done. Okay, good. It's actually great to hear that. Yeah. Can you give us some like progress stories then? Like oh, a woman who, who at least are seeing so some movement in it. Yeah. Okay. Let me start with maybe the most extreme story. Uh, I was doing a workshop at Good Vibrations several years ago and a woman attended because she had like red come as you are and had eventually had her very first orgasm. Mm -hmm. She told me, she came up and told me the story after the workshop, the age at which she had her first orgasm was 75. Wow. And like, nobody ever has to have an orgasm. That didn't have to be something that she chose to pursue for herself, but she wanted to try it. Mm -hmm. And the stars aligned and she learned so much more. A thing happens as we age where there's a sort of split. Some people get to the other side of menopause and are like, phew, I never have to worry about sex again. Mm -hmm. And other people get to menopause and they're like, phew, all those standards against which I was judging and assessing myself no longer apply. I can do whatever the heck I want. I can be exactly the person that I am. And I don't have to try and be something that the world thinks I'm supposed to be. And those are the folks whose sexuality expands beyond anything they had ever considered might exist. That's fascinating. So there's a body of research called the Optimal Sexual Experiences Research um, led by Peggy Kleinplatz. She and Dana Maynard wrote a book called Magnificent Sex, uh, where they study people who self-identify as having extraordinary sex lives. And the typical first age at which they experience this extraordinary sex, do you want to guess? 50? 55. Yeah. First wow. experience of extraordinary sex. So if you wow. experience the progress of your life as the letting go of mm -hmm. all the lies you were told and the embracing of who you truly are, <sighs> that's the path to freedom. That's what I mean by... Uh, no longer buying into other people's narratives of who you're supposed to be as a sexual person. And when you get rid of that stuff, it creates space inside you for who you actually are and for the pleasure that your body is capable of. There is a tip that I learned from um, Adrienne Marie Brown, poet, activist, organizer, uh, author of Pleasure Activism. She suggested to me that I try something called pleasure gratitude. It's a gratitude practice, but it's specific. At the end of the day, you ask yourself, what pleasure have I experienced today for which I can be thankful? And just every day you think today, wow, that, that spaghetti bolognese that I cooked, I really, that was such a thrill and a delight to eat that. Um, today I got to have sex and my skin touched my partner's skin and that felt delicious and connecting. And I am so grateful that I got to experience that. I did this every day for several months and my whole life changed. Like, wow. it was important for me because I work from home. I am home yeah. all the time and I come out of my office after hours of work and I feel this sort of like ugh, feeling. Yeah. And as I continued with this gratitude practice for pleasure, it became part of my transition out of my work brain mode into my human being connection mode that I would just start noticing the beautiful things that existed outside of my office. Whether it's like, oh, there's a new branch on this plant. There's a new leaf unfurling on my Monstera Deliciosa. Uh, oh, there's my husband cooking in the kitchen and he is so pretty and so nice. <laughs> and that smooth food smells so good. And it just made it so much easier for me to have access to pleasure mm -hmm. because I had practiced noticing it and welcoming it into my life. 
So like I am myself, like I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. And just in the last year, I have learned a new skill for increasing my access to pleasure, which increases my access to interest in participating in pleasurable experiences. So our typical last question is I ask like, what is one small way listeners can get started on what you taught today? I'm wondering if that's it, or maybe you had another one in mind. I, I mean, that one I think is really powerful. Yeah. I do think the body image piece is so important. Okay. Um, so, and the activity I suggest for that is the mirror exercise, which is where you take off all your clothes and you stand in front of a full length mirror You look at what you see there and you write down everything you see that you like. And the first time you do this, it might be your eyelashes. Mm -hmm. It might be your ankle bones. It might be your spirit because you can see that in your eyes, right? And that's, that's because you're seeing your body through the warping cultural lenses of what Amelia calls the bikini industrial complex. But the thing is you do it again tomorrow. And you do it again the next day and again the next day. And gradually you will begin to be able to see your actual body without mm-hmm. those warping lenses with your eyes and recognize it for the freaking freaking miracle that it actually is, that you are already beautiful exactly the way you are. Not because beautiful is something we all should be. I don't mean that we all conform to the cultural ideal. We don't. But we are beautiful the way every tree is beautiful, the way every dog is beautiful. If you can look out at the weather on any given day and a tree is beautiful in the fall and a tree is beautiful in the spring and a tree is beautiful in winter, you know that you are already beautiful exactly as you are. I'm not going to forget that visual. That was really, really impactful for me. Thank you. Oh, good. Emily, let's direct people to your amazing book come as you are, but also your podcast. Yes. The come as you are podcast is uh brand new and I'm really proud of it. And we worked really hard. And my lead producer, Mo Laborde is a delightful, spectacular human being that I think is going to become everyone's best friend. <laughs> we answer sex questions with science. It's a really simple format. Uh, yeah. But I get to talk about the sex science that I love so much in ways that are like, here, directly, I'm going to show you how to apply this to this particular question. And I think people will learn from that how to apply the science to whatever's happening in their own particular sex questions. You know, I've kind of joked from the beginning, I've always been, um, as a podcaster, my category is part of the sex podcast. Someone was like, I'm competing with the sex podcast. Like who wants to listen to a personal development show when you've got all these sex podcasts? Yours is the one I would make an incredible exception for like, (laughs) because of how um, central it is, the work that you do to who we are as human beings, which is to me, a lot of the missing piece of this whole puzzle. No, it's just about sex. It's just about how to have orgasms and increase your desire. It's not actually about like how to like enjoy who you are as a person and be more compassionate and patient with yourself and more loving with your partner and more aware of your boundaries. It's, it's, it's just about sex. That's all. <laughs> it's not. It's about how to make the world a better place. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I I got it. But let's make sure the people who can't see yeah. faces. But but yeah, that's 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 why your work has been so instrumental to me and many, many, many others. So um you've got an avid listener here, and I hope uh, the people listening will go and subscribe right away. Thank you so much for your work and for being here today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. See what I did there? I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants you need to grow. I'm now going to share the progress pointers from this episode, and these are the notes that I took so you don't have to. And those on my go-getter newsletter will get them in a graphic form each Wednesday. Heads up, this is going to be a meaty one because, of course, it's Emily Nagoski. 
Number one, if you have worries about wrong when it comes to doing, feeling, and looking of sex, then perfectionism is showing up in the bedroom, especially when your main worry is that something is wrong with you. Number two, our brains follow the dual control model, which depending on the sexual stimuli, both internal and external, will either press the accelerator or the brakes to our own arousal. Body self-criticism is the most common reason for hitting the brakes. Number three, performative sex ignores our own internal experience in the pursuit of approval and or meeting a standard. But the standards we've internalized have very little to do with how people actually work. Number four, to help learn about women's sexuality, identify your brakes and accelerators, put pleasure first, think through for yourself what it is you want when you want sex, and also what it is you like when you like sex. And number five, progress is not linear. It's a cycle of woundedness and healing. If you experience the progress of your life as the letting go of all the lies you were told and the embracing of who you truly are, that's the path to freedom. Your do something challenge this week is kind of a big one. And it's to take on the mirror challenge that Emily recommended. And as part of that, you stand in front of the mirror unclothed and you name something you like about your body. She said to do this like every day until it gets easier. And um, let's just start with the first time. One thing about your body in front of the mirror. What an incredible episode and a personal uh, one for me that I'm just so proud of and excited to be sharing with you. And if you were listening, you know that we also um, had Amelia Nagoski on the show last fall to talk about burnout. This is Emily's twin sister, and they co-authored the book Burnout. I highly recommend that episode as well. We'll make sure we link it in the show notes for you. Before I go, a quick reminder, I'm on maternity leave, and that word is really hard for me to say, apparently, maternity leave. And that means I did the work ahead of time to make sure this podcast is still going And while that's true, my own marketing of the podcast is taking a major backseat so that I can cuddle my baby and do tons of laundry. And because of that, I rely on you, the listeners, to ensure that this podcast is being heard and by new people. If you can share this episode with one friend today, I'd be so grateful and you get bonus points if you leave a rating and or a review on your podcast app. Thanks so much for stepping up in ways I'm choosing not to right now. And thank you for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. Okay. All right. I'm recording. Oh, I also edit. So don't, if you need to start okay. a sentence over or anything like that, just so if I mess up, sometimes I begin a sentence and then I forget what the beginning was by the time I get to the end. It's okay. And I'm just like, can I start that sentence? Yes, we can totally do that. No problem at all. All right, let's, let's get started. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.